We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Uh, We've had some ups and downs. I think we've had some great moments, and we've had some moments that are a little bit disappointing. So, um, you know, to me, it's early in the season. You know, we we continue to compete. We, um, I I would say that uh, the best is yet to come for our group and what we're capable of and what we're gonna what we're gonna do. So I, I love the fact that we've um, we are a relentless group. Uh, we're a group that's that's stuck together, and uh, we're working through some of the issues that were the problem. And uh, we'll come out on the other side. I I feel very confident about that. Defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio yesterday after he was asked to evaluate his defense after the first six games of the season. Uh, the show today, as always, presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate. You've got nothing to lose. 866-90-NATION or Nation. We've had some ups and downs, Jack said. We've had some great moments. We've had some moments that are a little bit disappointing. Uh, The Chicago game was more than just a little bit uh, disappointing. Uh, But, look, his defenses have improved uh, as the seasons have gone along. I mean, take the COVID disaster at the end of the year and really that Cleveland game last year. That was a big spot. That was not an end-of-year Uh, stellar performance in a big spot, that's for sure. The defense really gave up way too much against a Cleveland offense that had not generated much against anybody, and it cost him a playoff spot, uh, that's for sure. But he says we're going to come out on the other side. He feels very confident about that. Good defensive performance last week. I think the yards were a little bit misleading. Um, Not that they were misleading, but there was a lot of good uh, during a course of a game in which really the offense went dormant after the first half, and the defense had to pretty much shut down the Falcons uh, with a 14-point lead, which they ultimately did with the help of three turnovers. Very similar opponent this week. In the Giants, uh, my keys to a win over the Giants coming up here shortly. My prediction on the game in this first segment uh, as well. Jay Gruden will join us in the next segment, and then I'll finish up the show 
with the smell test. If you haven't had a chance to rate us or review us and you want to do that, uh, it's really helpful. Apple, Spotify in particular allows you to either rate it or rate it and review it in the case of Apple. Subscribing to the podcast is a big deal for us. Uh, and following us on Apple and Spotify is a big help as well. Um, real quickly, um, last night, uh, the Jacksonville-New Orleans game. I, I was watching everything last night. Perhaps many of you were as well as watching the baseball. I was watching the college game in which I had action. More on that coming up in the smell test. Uh, and I was watching that Jacksonville-New Orleans game. Man, does the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints, Derek Carr, look miserable right now. He looks just unhappy, yelling uh, at virtually everybody on the field, Chris Olave, his coordinators, coaching staff. I haven't seen Derek Carr that way. Not that I have followed Derek Carr's career closely. I've never been a massive fan of Derek Carr. Jay Gruden um, and obviously his brother, John, big fans of Derek Carr. Cooley was always a big fan of Derek Carr. I just always thought he was, you know, middle of the road at best kind of a quarterback. Um, That's a decent team in New Orleans. He's not playing well. I don't think everybody on offense is playing well for him. Uh, I'll ask Jay. Uh, He knows Derek Carr and why there might be some frustration there. But the game was interesting in that there was nothing uh, offensively to write home about for three quarters, especially for New Orleans. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, you know, New Orleans down 24 to 9, scores twice, converts on a two point conversion. Then they give up a touchdown. Then they get the ball back and they drove all the way down the field. And they were about to put up their third touchdown of the quarter in the fourth quarter. But the tight end, Foster Moreau, Foster Moreau, not Fabian Moreau, Foster Moreau, dropped a wide open touchdown pass on third and goal. Uh, they missed on fourth and goal, and that was it. The Saints lost 31-24. to By the way, that makes it 10 out of the last 11 for the AFC over the NFC. You know, that's a good thing if you're an NFC team. You want all of the other NFC teams to lose all of their games against AFC teams because the AFC wins don't hurt you, um, and the NFC losses do. Uh, but that's if you're in the boat that I am in, which is rooting for ourselves to go have a season, as Steve Zabin uh, likes to say. Let's go have ourselves a season. And I'll tell you what, if we're going to go have ourselves a season, then Sunday's game is not necessarily must win, uh, but it's a need to win game. You can't be taken seriously by anybody if you lose to the Bears and the Giants over a two and a half week period. You just can't. The Bears were winless. Washington lost by 20. The Giants have one win and perhaps even more importantly um, as it pertains to Sunday if they were to win against Washington they're a team decimated by injuries. You kind of have to win this game on Sunday. Um, Look, I'm not sure at this point in the NFL season if there's a team incapable 
of winning on any given Sunday. You know, the Carolina Panthers are pretty bad at, at 0-6. They're the only winless team in the league. The Giants are 1-5, yes. But let's not forget that their five losses, Dallas, San Francisco, Seattle, Miami, and Buffalo. The combined record of those five teams, 21-8. and eight. And I would say that at least three of those five teams, San Francisco, Miami, and Buffalo, are considered right now to be legitimate Super Bowl contenders. There are probably still some people out there that think Dallas is. I don't. And I don't think Seattle is a Super Bowl contender. But Dallas and Seattle are certainly playoff contenders. Uh, You have to kind of consider that with the Giants' start here. They have not been a good team. They've been a very injured team. But they've also had a brutal schedule. The one sort of easy game they had, they were down a bunch in, but they came back and beat the Cardinals out in Glendale. You know, every other game, again, against either a Super Bowl contender or a legitimate playoff contender. And their last outing Sunday night in Buffalo on the road, they were right there. They lost the game 14-9. to They were at the one-yard line at the end of the game with a chance to, to win it uh, outright on the road with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. And they got completely hosed on a missed call on the final play of the game. So I am not dismissing the Giants as, as a team incapable of, of winning on Sunday. Uh, in fact, stay tuned for the smell test, uh, although you probably shouldn't trust that these days. But the Giants have proved they're capable of playing well, you know, despite all of their missing pieces. Last week, the big piece back was Saquon Barkley. He clearly gives them a chance um, that they just didn't seem to have much of without him. Uh, Daniel Jones is still iffy as the recording of this podcast is taking place. I just checked right before we started to record to see if there was any news. Uh, Brian Dable apparently earlier today said, you know, we're going to take it up until uh, as long as we can take it up until. Right now, he's not been cleared for contact at practice, but they have not ruled him out of the game on Sunday. Tyrod Taylor is a veteran quarterback, as most of you know. The offensive game plan doesn't change that much with him in the lineup, with one exception, really, and it's been one of those things that's actually hurt Washington a lot in their head-to-head with the Giants, and that is there's not a lot of zone read. There's not a lot of designed run with Tyrod Taylor like there is with Daniel Jones. Um, But I don't think much else will change uh, with Tyrod Taylor in the game. Uh, Their offensive line has been the hardest hit area of the team by far. I mean, it is nothing like what they expected it to be before the season started. Andrew Thomas likely out again. You could argue he's one of the top two or three players on the team. They're starting left tackle. Uh, The center that they drafted from Minnesota, John Michael Schmitz, is appears to be out again. Um, He was a starter day one. He was somebody, by the way, that Washington liked in the draft. Uh, Evan Neal's likely out. Shane Lemieux, one of their key backups who's played, just went to the IR. I mean, it's a total disaster on their offensive line right now. It reminds me a bit of when Washington had that year in 2017. In fact, maybe I'll bring it up with Jay. 
um, when they had that stretch in the middle of the season where just one offensive lineman was going down after another. They lost at home to Dallas and then miraculously won at Seattle with like two to three guys that had had to introduce themselves in the locker room to their teammates. Um, defensively, uh, the Giants rank very low in a lot of areas uh, defensively. But I think that might be a little bit misleading. I mean, right now the Giants defensively per DVOA are ranked 28th. I think they're 31st per PFF um, in ranking defensively. I think they've got decent players on defense. I'm not going to give out the warning that I gave out uh, about Atlanta's defense a week ago or about Chicago's offense the game before that. I don't have any sort of you know, look out for because you're not paying attention. They're actually pretty good here. The only thing I would say is that Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, these are really good defensive tackles in this league. Kayvon Thibodeau, we know what what he's capable of doing. He did it to Washington in that second of their two meetings last year at FedEx Field, had the sack fumble and the return for touchdown. I think they're suspect on the back end, but I think their linebackers are a little bit better than people think. I think McFadden's played well. Um, I, I think the results and their rankings in part are due to the fact that they haven't had any offense, which means they've been out on the, out on the field a ton, and they have faced Miami, San Francisco, Buffalo, Seattle, Dallas. But Again, just as a reminder, they had Buffalo shut out through three quarters last week. Completely shut out. Um, However, with that said, I'm not going to say this is a should-win game. This isn't an organization right now or a team that you can say this is a should-win game. There really are, you know, only a handful of teams that have should-win games. You know, Washington's in that vast you know, group of, you know, 25, 26 teams that they're they're determining right now, are they in the upper middle or the lower middle? You know, uh, I don't know that the Giants are in the middle right now as banged up as they are, but when they're healthy, they're certainly in the middle of the league somewhere uh, in the middle. I thought before the season started, the Giants would be in the upper middle for sure. I liked their team before this season started. I was dead wrong, but it's hard to really judge the Giants at this point because of the injuries that they've had and, again, the schedule that they have faced. But if you're going to be a contender in a very weak NFC on the back end, right, because after Philadelphia, San Francisco, and Detroit, after that, you know, if you want to throw Seattle and Dallas into that mix, have at it. Okay, the NFC South will have a champion, um, but right now Tampa is the leader at three and two. But there's going to be, you know, there are going to be a lot of teams in contention for, you know, the seventh spot, maybe even the six and seven spot. Let's see what happens with the Cowboys during the course of the year with Seattle during the course of the year. I, I would bet that Seattle ends up with double digit wins. I think that's a pretty good football team. Dallas somehow will probably get to double-digit wins, I guess. I'm not overly impressed with Dallas, but they're a better team than Washington. But, you know, even if it's just for one spot, 
I mean, take Philly, Dallas, Detroit, San Francisco, and Seattle and the NFC South champion and say, okay, there are right there six of your playoff teams. Then you're talking about here's where the battle comes in for a seventh spot, right? What, and I'm going to I'm I'm going to exclude the teams that have terrible records right now. Washington, Green Bay, Minnesota, Atlanta, New Orleans, the Rams. That's the group that you'll likely be competing with. Because I don't see the Bears getting back into it at one and five, or the Cardinals at one and five, or the Panthers at zero and six, and probably not the Giants at one and five. I mean, you. These are the games. I think I said it before the Chicago game. These are the games that you'll look back if you miss it by one game and say, "How did we lose to them?" You know, when the Bears are four and thirteen, how did we lose to them? When the Giants, you know, continue to have one of those years where the injuries just mount and they end up 3-14, and 14, how did we lose to them? You know, you can afford to lose to maybe one of them. You can afford to lose to one bad team. You kind of got to make it up with a win over a really good team at some point. But if you lose to the Bears and the Giants, two teams that may combine when all is said and done, for 21, 22, 23 losses or more this year, you're probably not going to be the seven seed in the NFC. So this is a big game Sunday. They're not going to cancel the rest of the season if they lose. They're not out of it if they lose. They could come back and shock Philadelphia the following week at FedEx Field. But look at what they have moving forward. Like this, you know, now that we're in it, I'm not saying that it kind of looked this way actually before the season started too, but this is the portion of the schedule, right? The Bears, Falcons, Giants, you know, then the Eagles, then the Patriots, who are not a very good team. You got to harvest some nuts right now. You know, you got to get this game, and then you've got back-to-back wins. You're a game over 500 which, by the way, would ensure that you're 500 or better going into the month of November because the Philadelphia game, as I'm looking at the schedule right now, is the last game in October. Man, season's flying by. Here we are, week seven, and it's already the third week in October. But if you can get Sunday, then you're no worse than 4-4 four and four heading to New England in November. It's been a while since they've gone into November 500 or better. Uh, so I don't want to look ahead too far. I mean, the Patriots game certainly wouldn't be an easy game. They're pretty good defensively. Um, the Seahawks game the following week, I mean, look, they're in the midst of four road games and five with the one home game being Philadelphia. But this is this is a need to have Sunday. You know, there was that feeling after the Chicago game that instead of being – you know, two and three, they felt like they were two and ten. And then they get the win in Atlanta. And it's like, all right, well, they can beat the Giants. If they lose to the Giants and they're three and four, it's going to feel like three and eight. And this is the time to get this team. Their starting quarterback is either going to play and probably not, you know, at 100%, or he's not going to play. And their offensive lines in tatters, and they've got some injuries on defense in the secondary as well. So, 
Anyway, all right. I want to mention real quickly the Window Nation deal. Call them right now at 866-90-NATION if you've been thinking about new windows. Pause the podcast. Call them at 866-90-NATION. Mention my name. You heard it on the podcast, and they'll take good care of you. If you've got windows that are older, 10 years of age or older, if you've got windows that are hard to open or hard to lock when you close them, they're drafty, they're leaky, you need new windows. You're losing a lot of money with higher heating bills in the winter, higher air conditioning bills in the summer. You'll save up to 30% on your energy bills with new windows, and your house will look much better. Now's the time to take advantage of it, too, before winter gets here and because of the deal that Window Nation is offering. Their deal right now is buy two, get two free with no limit. If you need 10 windows, you're only paying for five of them. And you don't have to pay anything until the year 2025 because for two years, there's no interest charged with no down payment or no payments required for two full years. So if you think you need new windows, give Window Nation a shot. They're some of my favorite people. They're fans of this podcast. They're fans of the teams that you root for, although they are Cleveland guys, Harley and Aaron are. Um, But because they've lived here so long, they root for the Terps. They want the Skins to do well uh, because that means more people are listening to the podcast and the radio show and consuming sports. So uh, take advantage of a great group of people out at Window Nation. They really will take good care of you. This will work out if you choose to buy windows from Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. All right, uh, let me get to my keys to a win over the Giants and a prediction, and then we'll get to Jay Gruden. Um, All right, first things first. I think this game is so similar to last week's game against Atlanta. Atlanta is a team that wants to run the football. Atlanta, I told you last week, was much better defensively than most of you thought. I think the Giants are better than their ranking Uh, you know, indicates, but they're not as good as Atlanta. Atlanta is actually a really good defensive football team. And look, Washington struggled offensively after the first half, and they needed the defense to step up with turnovers. But I think as you look at the Giants, the, the key to beating the Giants starts with stopping the run, stopping Saquon Barkley. Last week, it was stopping the run against Atlanta. Atlanta wanted to run the football. Whether it's Daniel Jones or Tyrod Taylor, you're going to have to slow down Saquon Barkley. He is a difference maker, and they looked like a completely different team offensively last week. The good news is, is stopping the run, uh, you know, if it requires more than just their base 4-3 or their Cinco package, their five-man front, you know, if maybe they want to walk, you know, another, they want to put another linebacker on the field or they want to walk a safety down into the end of the box, they can do that because the Giants just aren't anywhere near the threat that Atlanta was, even with Desmond Ritter. I mean, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Mac Hollins, Jonu Smith, they had some dudes. You know, the Giants really don't. Like, I'm not even a big Waller fan. Um, you know, Slayton, you know, is okay. Wondell Robinson's kind of tiny. They're just not capable of beating a team 
that's stopping their running game from beating them exclusively through the air. I don't believe they can do that. You know, with Daniel Jones, you'd have to worry about this scrambling capability, and Tyrod Taylor can move around a little bit as well. But if you stop the run Sunday, if you shut down Saquon Barkley the same way you shut down Bijan Robinson, you're pretty much there. Now, you're not completely there, but I'd say you're about 75% uh, home on a, on a win. Um, one uh, or two other quick points on the overarching number one point, which is stop the run, the number one key. You got to be disciplined once you start stopping the run. You even have to be disciplined before you stop, uh, start to stop the run because the Giants will probably anticipate Washington will be, you know, loading up the box, you know, intent on stopping the run. And against that five-man front, the Cinco package, which Ron's referred to this week as more of a 3-4 because – you know, you got Montez and you got Chase as those outside defensive ends. Chase plays up in a two-point stance, makes it look a little bit like a 3-4 outside linebacker in that case, uh, in his case anyway. Um, you never see Montez do that, or, or rarely do you see him do that. But you can get off of that front play action and boots. Um, and, you know, Tyrod Taylor and Daniel Jones – I could see the Giants coming out initially trying to go play action and take some medium to long shots. Um, I could see them, you know, running some bootleg and getting it out to Waller or a wide receiver real quickly. Um, I could also see them running a lot of screens, which they have run um, a lot of this year because the offensive line's so bad they can't really protect uh, that long. And even last Sunday night, you saw the quick screens. I'm not talking about the quick wide receiver screens. I'm talking about the the, the play action with Barkley, who then turns around almost immediately, you know, just barely outside the tackle box for a quick push pass to get the screen going. So you just have to be disciplined. <clears throat> they've got to stop the run, but they've got to be disciplined in doing it. I'd also, you know, be a, a little bit leery of like this guy Wandale Robinson on fly sweeps, on reverses. The Giants know Washington's capable of shutting their run down. I I think that they are, you know, if they don't, it would be a, an extreme disappointment. Um but the Giants are probably going to try to loosen it up a little bit early on. So stop the run, but be disciplined in stopping the run. Uh, number two, you can't you know you can't give this game away. This is the cliche turnover thing, the the mistake thing, the self destruction thing. But when you've got two teams like Washington and Atlanta last week, to a slightly lesser extent this week, because again uh, uh, the Giants' health. Um, you've got two teams that are both capable of winning this game. You can't hand it to to them. You know, you can't hand an offense that really is is unhealthy and has struggled. You can't hand them the ball. And they've been good at this. They've been good at protecting the football here. Um, you know, they were last week. They were against Philadelphia uh, in the games that they've played. You know, uh, well in um, so. I, I, you just have to protect the football. Do you need to be plus three this week to beat the Giants? No. But if you're minus two, could you lose the game? Yes. So, 
again, a cliche key every week, you know, but it's the kind of team they've had for a while, and it's the kind of team they have this year. You know, they're not good enough to overcome, you know, self-inflicted you mistakes, turnovers in particular. Um, lastly, they will beat the Giants if they protect Sam Howell. But hear me out on this one. So the Giants now are the third straight opponent for Washington, Chicago, Atlanta, and the Giants, who will come into this game at the bottom or near the bottom of the league in sacks, in total sacks. The Giants have five total on the season. They are dead last in sacks right now. Last week, Atlanta was 31st in the league with five sacks, and they got five. The week before that, the Bears had only two sacks through four games. They were dead last in the league, and they got five. They more than doubled their season total. Could Washington overcome five more sacks to Sam Howell and beat the Giants? Yes, they can. They did last week. They needed help. From the, from the Falcons, you know, a lot of that was defensive force too, but the Falcons turned the ball over three times. They self-destructed at the goal line with the delay of game and the getting in the plays late before that interception to St. Juice. Um, but they can overcome another terrible sack day from Sam Howell. But I think if they are clean on the turnover side, and they start to make progress. Sam starts to make progress. You know, the offensive line, everything. But remember, you know, we have now kind of determined with some of the advanced numbers that are out there that this is a Sam problem more than it is an offensive line problem. But if he could cut that in half, you know, two and a half sacks, you know, it, let's just call it two sacks or no more than three, they could really win easily for the first time this year. Every single game they've played and won, you know, the two-point win over Denver, the four-point win over Arizona, the, you know, eight-point last week, but with, you know, the Falcons knocking on the door um, in Atlanta. I mean, you haven't – if you take away that Dallas meaningless season finale, which was not meaningful to Washington, they just – they haven't won games easily. The game in Houston last year was pretty much it. Um, and they they did dominate a bad Houston team that particular day. If they don't go backwards, if there's not another 35, 40 yards and lost, you know, sack yardage, um, which forces punts, which forces, you know, sometimes field goals or missed field goals if you were in, you know, touchdown range, but you get backed up to field goal range. Even without the turnovers, it'll hurt them, and you'll probably be in a tighter game than you need to be in. If he finds those incompletions and he can cut that sack rate down, then I think they could win big. I'm not predicting that. You'll hear my prediction in a moment. Um, but I'd really like to see big picture and even immediate long-term picture and even immediate picture. I would like to see the improvement start Sunday against the Giants. Let's not see Sam, you know, getting mugged in the pocket because he's holding on to it too long um, and taking, you know, another five sacks, which would keep him on track 
to break. The, look, if he takes zero sacks this week, he's still going to be on pace to shatter the record. Um, but uh, he's going to need a couple of zero to one sack days to get out of that range. Um, anyway, uh, you did not hear me, other than protecting Sam Howell, talk much more about the offense in this game. I just don't think it'll it'll take a whole lot offensively to beat the Giants if they can stop the run, um, and if you know they don't turn the ball over, uh, you know, to the to the Giants and shorten the field and give them scoring opportunities. I think that they will, um, you know, have a, a really good chance to win just doing offensively what they've been doing which is at times being very effective, at other times not being effective, but as long as they're not turning over the ball, you know, so be it. Uh, all right, my final score prediction. By the way, um, just as I started to record this, Washington, all systems go. Kendall Fuller is good to go Sunday. That was the last, you know, concern health-wise. Washington, extremely healthy. The Giants, not so much. Washington's really been a healthy football team for the most part. I mean, the loss of Derek Forrest and and Jeremy Reeves, you know, hurts, especially on special teams with Reeves, and they miss Forrest too. But uh, relatively speaking, Washington is, you know, on the good side so far uh, when it comes to uh, injuries. All right, final score prediction. Washington wins the game, but it's much tighter than we want it to be. 20 to 19 Washington. Last week I gave you 21-19 Washington. 20 to 19 Washington. Brian Dable's team, you know, gets a touchdown late and he goes for two and they miss. And he says in his post-game presser, "You know at home my belief is you go for two in the win on the road I kick for the tie." It's the opposite of what Ron Rivera said in 2020 in the Meadowlands after they lost to the Giants 20 to 19 and they missed on a two-point conversion at the end 20 to 19 I'm not going to be surprised if Washington wins by a larger margin and I'm also not going to be floored if they lose we've already seen it happen to Chicago they're capable of laying a big fat egg I will tell you this though that if Saquon Barkley wasn't back and, you know, uh, Tyrod Taylor was quarterbacking, but or, or even Daniel Jones. But if Saquon Barkley weren't in the lineup, my final score prediction would have been more like 30 to 13. And by the way, the Skins wouldn't be a two-and-a-half, three-point favorite. They'd probably be more like a five-and-a-half to six-point favorite. It's probably too many points for Saquon Barkley, but um, it is too many points. They'd be a four, four-and-a-half point favorite for sure. Uh, but he is—he's something else. He's one of the, you know, he's one of the three or four at that position that are true difference makers. But I do feel like this is a need-to-have game that hopefully they'll play with the same level of energy that they played last week with. And if they do that and they don't self-inflict with turnovers, et cetera, they—they—they they, they can get a win. See, I almost said it. I almost said should win. They can get a win. 20 to 19, Washington. Jay Gruden next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, joining me as he does every Friday during football season, the former head coach of the Washington Redskins, Jay Gruden. Uh, we'll get Jay's thoughts on the league, and we'll get his lock of the week, um, which last week came through again. I think you are now – I think you've won your last three locks of the week because you gave out last week um, the Dolphins. By the way, I bet the Panthers. Correct. Um and uh, and I think that's three straight weeks that you've given out a lock of the week winner. So stay tuned, Thank everybody. You. Yeah, I'm taking a bow right now as we speak. Yeah, well, um, you know, don't hurt yourself doing that. Uh, so the, the discussion this week, and really for the last few weeks, has been about the sacks that Sam Howell's taken. You you know that he's got 34. He's on pace uh, to shatter the record set by David Carr back in 2002. Um, and there's a lot of data out there, Jay, that suggests that, you know, sacks are not one of those things that typically improve statistically. Like your sack percentage when you're a young player tends to be a pretty stable rate. Like I can't imagine that he could survive at this rate, so it may not be something that gets measured. But the question that hasn't been answered about that is why? Why do you think quarterbacks that tend to have a flaw in taking sacks more often than other quarterbacks do, why doesn't that improve typically? I mean, there are examples where it has, but more times than not, it ends up being steady. That is a great question. I never thought of it that way. Um, Some quarterbacks have a strong desire to complete balls and wait for things to develop maybe too long in the pocket, and then when things break down, they're stuck. They get stuck with it instead of getting off their first read to their second read and third progression as fast as they can and getting the ball out. Some quarterbacks are naturally better than that. Some quarterbacks just take more time in the pocket to see things. They don't see things and anticipate things quite as well as others, and that can be a problem. The quarterback job is to anticipate throws, anticipate throwing windows, and get the ball out to the right guy, depending on what the coverage gives you. And uh, like I said, some quarterbacks are quicker at recognizing that, and some are not. 
Do you see anything specific with the the number of sacks that Sam's taken that um, would be a consistent reason as to why he's doing that? No, I, well, that's the issue, I think. I mean, sometimes clearly he holds onto the ball too long and, and does not abort mission quick enough when plays aren't there. You know, I used to tell quarterbacks all the time, don't make a bad play worse, and, and sometimes he does that. Sometimes it's a combination of pass protection. It could be a player. It could be a protection issue as far as going to the right people or allowing free runners. Um, so there's a combination. It could be the left guard. It could be the right tackle. It could be a protection scheme, and it could be Sam. It's a combination of a lot of things, and unfortunately, if it was one thing, it'd be easy to correct. But it's not just one thing. It's a combination of a lot of things, and that's why they have so many sacks. Yeah, I mean, there's so much data, as you know, out there, and a lot of the you know pass-blocking data that's out there. I mean, PFF has Washington's pass-block win rate as eighth best in the league. Um, NextGen has them at 13th in the league in terms of their pass-blocking unit. PFF's put, of the 34 sacks he's taken, they've essentially put 14 on the offensive line and 20 on Sam. Um, I don't know how much you buy into all of that data, but if we just take the, you know, the, the data as Sam's taken more, more of the sacks have been on him than anything else. And you see him holding onto the ball. You mentioned processing and throwing with anticipation. Are those things that can be coached up and improved to a point where sacks no longer are a big issue and he moves to somewhere in the middle of the league in terms of sack taking? Yeah, I think so. I think the more he sees these concepts, people have to realize this is the first go-around for him right. as far as seeing concepts against different coverages. And obviously you're playing a different defense every week with a different set of coverages. Some teams play the same type of quarters of cover two, but some teams have different versions of cover three and some of their fire zones are different. And and also, you you know, we put it on the line and the, and the quarterback, but sometimes it's the backs and sometimes it's the receivers not getting the separation they need to. So, But I do think that as the season goes on, as his career goes on, these can be correctable the more he sees some of these similar concepts against the coverages that he's seen. He'll know where to go with the football a little bit quicker. Give me the list of things that are important for you when you're evaluating a quarterback, whether that's a quarterback that might be in the draft or a quarterback that you might be looking at trading for or signing in free agency. Obviously, production, you got to make sure he's producing at the level that he's at and consistency. You're looking for consistent production. Um, obviously, the skill set you need to see. you got to see arm talent. you got to see the anticipation. And you got to see the mental and physical toughness. You know, the mental toughness you can't really see unless he gets hit in the mouth uh, a couple times and he still stands in the pocket and delivers a throw uh, later on in the game. I think Sam displayed that at North Carolina, actually. His junior year, he was really good. In the senior year, a lot of people left him. Um, he got hit a lot and sacked a lot, but he still stood in there and made some plays. Uh, but yeah, arm talent, obviously, ability to escape and extend plays is critical for a quarterback in this day and age. If you don't have that Peyton Manning, Tom Brady you know, pocket awareness and anticipation and arm talent, you better be able to move. And uh, especially for these younger kids, you know, when they're, you know, even those great quarterbacks that I mentioned struggle earlier in their career because they're, they're new to the game, the speed of the game, and all the new concepts and coverages they're seeing. It takes time for those guys. So it's very beneficial for a quarterback that can move in the pocket and extend plays uh, for your offense, especially on third down. But mental toughness, physical toughness, arm talent, um, accuracy, and there's so many things that it's hard to pinpoint one. If I had to say one thing, he's got to be a great leader, and he's got to be 
uh, at least they have the arm talent to, to make the throws. Is there a quarterback that pops into mind that you evaluated at some point, whether you know before a draft or before free agency, that you were right about that you know everybody else was maybe not right about? Um, in a negative way uh, or a positive way? A positive way as far as I think we were – you know, we drafted Andy Dalton in the second round. We spent a lot of time with Andy, and there was like six or seven quarterbacks in that draft ahead of him. And I'm not saying he's the perfect quarterback, but he's had a pretty damn good career. And, uh, you know, we, we ended up getting him in the second round. He was very productive for us at Cincinnati, and we actually liked him ahead of about five quarterbacks in the first round, and we were right about that, that's for sure. You know, Ponder, Jake Locker, um, there's four others, I believe. Gabbard. Gabbard, yeah. Yeah, so there's, you know, so we were right about him. I would say Colin Kaepernick was in that draft. So I'd say any Dalton. We just liked him because he played three years at SM or at TCU. He's a tough kid. He's very productive. He could move in the pocket. Um, and they did a lot of concepts. Their offensive coordinator was very good at the time. They did a lot of concepts under center in the shotgun, some zone reads. They did a little bit of everything, and he was productive at just about everything. He wasn't the greatest armed, talented quarterback we ever saw on tape, obviously, but he was very effective and, and, and could make all the throws. When you brought him in, when he finally arrived um, in Cincinnati, how long before you knew this guy? Because you drafted him in the second round, right? Was he second round? Yep. Um, how long did it take you to figure out, yeah, this guy's definitely going to be an NFL quarterback? Well, we had to make that decision right when we got in the building. He's the only guy we really had. So <laughs> the good thing about that, we had no competition for him. Uh-huh. We had We had – picked up Bruce Gretkowski to be his backup because I love Bruce as a guy. He's a great mentor for a young quarterback. And if something happened to Andy, we felt good about Bruce uh, getting us through a season or a game or whatever. But um, Andy was our guy from day one, and that helped because he got all the first-team reps, every single rep in preseason. And we didn't even have uh, OTAs that year because it was a strike year. So he came in right in training camp, took every rep and every rep in preseason games, and, and, and we were able to grow with him. We were able to see what he could and what he struggled with. And he was able to get as many looks and reps as possible. And we always feel like reps are the king for a quarterback. They have to get reps. Reps, 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 reps. Whether it's one-on-ones, whether it's team reps, whether it's seven-on-seven, continue to get reps so they can develop and see the concepts and know where to go with the football when shit hits the fan. Yeah. I mean, that's actually pretty interesting, right? Because in today's game, you wouldn't draft a second rounder and not think about having somebody else on your roster that would likely start that rookie year for him, even if you believed in him long term. And so you think ultimately that benefited him from because he you drafted him in the second round and he was your starting quarterback day one. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. Because Carson Palmer left, he didn't want to play be a Bengal anymore, and we really didn't have anybody else on the roster. We had Carson's brother um, Jordan, and we had uh, I forgot the other kid's name, but uh, so that, yeah, that was all we had. And we drafted AJ first because you know Chad Johnson and To left, so we had to get a wide out. And it was between AJ and Julio, and it was a coin flip basically. But both of them were great. Happy as hell to have AJ. He's a great player, and, and we needed a quarterback, and we got Andy in second. If Andy would have been taken, I thought Andy was going to be taken by Seattle that year, but they ended up taking the guard from Alabama, which I, I couldn't believe it. And he fell right to us. We were begging Mr. Brown and to trade up and get him. Um, but he was right again, Mr. Brown. We waited for him. He fell right to us. <laughs> well, you know, when you were here, I mean, we know that Haskins wasn't your pick. Um, but the only quarterback that you ever, you guys ever picked 
am I, I think I'm right about this, was Nate Sudfeld, right? Is he the yeah. only, he's the only quarterback other than Haskins, which we know was, was Dan's pick. He was the only quarterback drafted. Were there quarterbacks along the way from the moment you got here in 2014 until you left that you wanted to draft that you, that you didn't? Um, not that I can recall off the top of my head. There's all, you're always looking for a quarterback to try to develop in house, especially, you know, when we had the Kirk Cousins deal and we had Colt McCoy, obviously, but you're always looking for a younger kid because you know you can't keep him forever. Kirk had his issues with the contract and all that good stuff, but uh, we felt really good about Kirk as our quarterback. And when you have that and you have other needs, major needs, whether it's linebacker, defense, pass rush, offensive line, whatever it is, you got to address those. And by the time you get to the fourth, fifth, or sixth round, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. I know there's Brock Purdy's in the world, and I know Tom Brady's a sixth-round pick, and so on and so forth, but the odds of that happening and getting a quarterback of that caliber are pretty slim, and, and we had so many other needs that if you feel good about your first and second-team quarterback, that's kind of you put that on the back burner a little bit. Right. Um, all right, what did you think of them last Sunday against Atlanta? You know what? I thought defensively it was great to see them step up. Um, turnovers are huge, and they haven't been able to turn the ball over as often as they probably would like. And to get three interceptions was huge and a big punt return. Defensive special teams are going to be gigantic for this team moving forward. they got to play great defense. they got to get turnovers, and they got to play great on special teams. Offensively, they're still a working. They have a young quarterback, and they're still a work in progress. And they'll get some points here and there, but they got to play great defense, and they got to get turnovers to uh, switch the field position and the momentum. And they did that. That's uh, great. It's, it's 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 crucial to do that, especially on the road. Yeah. By the way, speaking of special teams, Jamison Crowder with a huge you know punt return in that game. Uh, that was you know a guy drafted when you were uh, here um, out of Duke. Did you in that draft? Did you love Crowder? Diggs was still on the board. Yeah, we love Crowder. We actually loved. Uh, yeah, we we uh, actually loved Tyler Lockett too. Yeah, he was in the draft. We actually were going to take him in the third round. And we ended up trading that pick to Seattle, and uh, sure enough, Seattle took Lockett. We're like, what the hell? <laughs> Shady, but we ended up getting Jamison, who had a great uh, step for us as well. He's a good, great slot player, a good part returner. Do you remember how you guys had Diggs evaluated? You know, I don't remember. I don't know if if we had him. Um, what round did he get drafted in? Fifth, and he was in your backyard Fifth. at Maryland. Yeah, we had him here for the. Uh, you know, you have that day where you have the local guys come in at the local pro day. Yeah. And he was here. He didn't work out. He just kind of sat on the side and um, seemed like a good guy. We didn't really have him graded that highly for some reason. And I don't really, you know, we missed on him for sure. I don't know if we had a red flag on him for something. I don't know if he had injuries or what, but he really wasn't mentioned a whole lot for some reason. And that was a major miss because he was right in our backyard. He's one hell of a player. I don't know how we missed on him, but we did. That's one guy that I clearly regret not doing more work on, but for whatever reason, I didn't do a whole lot of work on him, and I don't know why. I don't know if he had an injury, like I said, or if he had some kind of red flag or what. All right, Giants on Sunday. Uh, they shut down Bijan Robinson. Uh, they held him to 2.8 yards per carry, 13 carries, 37 yards. Is that where you would start uh, in terms of keys to a win, stopping Saquon Barkley? Absolutely. You have to. And, and I think there's an ability, especially against the Giants, to bring an extra guy in the box because the receivers don't really scare you. I think you go Saquon, then you got to figure out where Waller's at. Waller's got to get more uh, attempts for the Giants because he's really the only threat they have from a receiver standpoint. 
and Daniel Jones obviously running if he plays or or, or whatever um, obviously has to be a factor keeping him in the pocket and not allowing those guys to run. Um, what I mean, there's a possibility it's going to be Tyrod Taylor again. Is does does the game plan defensively change significantly with him at quarterback or not? I don't think so. I think they still have the same pass concepts they're going to use, and they still have to worry about him running. I don't think they use as many quarterback design runs as they would with Daniel Jones with Tyrod, but obviously he can run, and he's very athletic. I think more of a zone read type guy with Tyrod, more so than the quarterback powers and things of that nature they used with Daniel Jones. But I think you just have to cover him down and, and play your coverages, but I would ex- actually work on a lot of coverages where the safety's in the box, more cover threes and three carries, whatever they want to do with that. But you got to get an extra guy in the box for Saquon because he's he's the one guy that can control the game. He can control the clock. They are a ball control type team. They want to get yards on first down and get the third and short. And that Tyrod uses legs and work Waller in the slot or outside, matched up against the safety if you play man to man. And that's how they play. They don't get a lot of big plays. They they really depend on ball control. So third down and medium is a huge down for Washington in this game. They have a good they have, got to have a good plan for that. Uh, if Kendall Fuller can't go and he was, he's been on the injury report, hasn't practiced the first couple of days, uh, here this week. Um, and it, it would be Emmanuel Forbes more likely than not. Uh, what would you make of them putting him right back into the lineup this week? Well, I think he's, you know, they, they sat him for a reason. He struggled a little bit in tackling and in coverage from time to time. So, but he had some good games early. I thought, I thought he played well early in the season. He just got beat by two really good receivers and A.J. Brown and, and D.J. Moore a couple times. But uh, to, I don't think it's – you're going to have to use them. And I knew that even though they benched him, eventually they're going to have to come back to him because he is a first-round pick and he has some talent. He's got great ball skills. And hopefully he can get, get a play early in the game, make a play early in the game to gain his confidence. But he has to make sure he does a better job of tackling, getting guys on the ground, maybe being a little bit less aggressive, not going for balls all the time. But that's kind of his DNA. He's made plays his whole career – and. That's kind of how he does it, but he's got to make sure he secures a tackle first and, and pick a spots when he go for the ball. Um, a lot of familiar faces on the Giant defense. Wink Martindale in the second year uh, as their coordinator, but uh, this is a defense that does not rank very high in any sort of the measurements. But I think they've got good players. What do you think? Their their defensive line is pretty good. I think they have young corners, which kind of is an issue for them right now. Uh, but Link does a good job as far as disguise the coverages and bringing blitzes and all that good stuff. And every NFL roster has good players on it, but um, they're probably pass rush wise probably at the bottom of the heap. They get their pressure based on uh, blitzes that Wink, Wink likes to use, and he's very effective with them. Um, but you know, Thibodeau's, Thibodeau, he's got to play a lot better. He's I think he's underachieving this year as far as sacks are concerned. They, Dexter Lawrence is a heck of a player. Obviously, Leonard Williams is a heck of a defensive lineman. Uh, McKinney's a good safety, but you know they got to have better corner play, and they got to try to manufacture pressure a little bit more with those four guys. And and Thibodeau's the main guy that's got to get it for them. Yeah, I wonder like when you look at a team like the Giants, they're obviously banged up. Uh, they're one in five, but they've also played you know the last four games: the Forty ers the Seahawks, the Dolphins, and the Bills. Um, and I think their game against the Bills may have been their best game of the year on Sunday night. Uh, you know that's something. You know you you can't you can't really focus on the record when basically all of their losses are to elite teams. Yeah, that's true. But you know you got to find a way to win some of those games. You got to be able to beat Seattle. You got to win your home games. 
Um, they did a great job against Buffalo. They really got screwed there at the end. That was a PI yeah. call, clearly. They yeah. got another crack at it, and they screwed up at the end of the half. But they're right there. I mean, they you know, they got blown out a couple times by Dallas, and, and they haven't looked very good. The biggest issue they have is, is consistently moving the ball and, and creating big plays. They don't have that big play guy. Jalen Hyatt's supposed to be the big play guy from Tennessee, but he hasn't really done that. He's made a couple catches deep, but Slayton's not getting deep. Wendell Robinson doesn't get open deep. They don't really have that deep threat. Saquon is the bell cow for him. He's got to be the guy to get the big play for him, whether it's on a screen pass or a bubble screen or obviously run between the tackles or if they're outside. So they're relying on Saquon for the big play because they don't have any other big play threat. All right. Uh, what's your prediction Sunday? Well, I think Washington should get this win, really. I, I just think they're a better all-around team. I think uh, – you know, the receivers should be able to get after these corners. I think Sam's got to obviously make the decisions and get the ball out. And, and this is a game, again, where just it's okay to punt and make the Giants go the long field against this defense. And this defense should dominate this offense for the Giants. They should not score very often. I mean, I'm sure they'll get a touchdown or, or maybe two. But uh, they got to hold them to under 17 points. And I can remember when I was in Cincinnati and we had a – young offense, I'd go into Zimmer and, and Paul Gunther, who are the defensive coaches, and I'd go in there on Friday afternoon after our practice and say, hey, what's the number? What do we got to get? And they say, hey, don't turn the ball over and just try to get 17 points. We'll win the game. I said, that's perfect. And that has to be known kind of because of your play calling. And the fact that third down and seven sometimes, you, you know, backed up, you might run a draw or a screen and punt and make them go the long field, you know, and not put your – young quarterback in harm's way where you might force a ball and turn the ball over and, and flip the momentum or flip the field. So um, this is the type of game where I think it's okay for Washington to punt. Just don't, don't turn the ball over. And, and I think they'll make enough plays offensively where they should be able to get a win in a, in a pretty easy one. In fact, I'm taking Washington as my lock of the week. Really? Kevin, what do you really? think about that? Well, it's the numbers up to three. You're okay laying the three? I might bite down to two and a half. Can I do that? <laughs> yes, you can, but you're gonna you're gonna have to pay minus one twenty five on that. Uh, maybe a little bit yeah, more. I just think I just think Washington, you know, three and three that also has you know played some tough teams and, and had some good games. And I think you know Sam's getting better and better. And I just think offensively and defensively, I just have a better team overall. I mean, you just you said something, and I understand what you're saying um, about it's okay to punt. But you said, look, third and seven, you may just run a draw and punt it. You got to recognize who you're playing. But it's not the way that Eric Bieniemy has called games this year. Now he's gotten. No, no to, he's not going to do that. Yeah, he's gotten to the checkdown a little bit more here recently. You know, especially when they've been in field goal range, they haven't taken sacks on third and fourteen, third and fifteen. But on third and seven, they're attacking with this with this kid. Do you care in the development of a young quarterback like that? Is that makes total sense against the Giants on Sunday? Because they're probably not. You would hope they're not going to be able to score more than seven, 17 points with basically the same kind of offensive line that remember you guys had that year when you went to Seattle and somehow pulled it off. Um, when you had like three guys that had just walked into the building the day before. I mean, that's basically yeah. what the Giants have up front on Sunday. But it certainly doesn't appear as if Eric Bieniemy's thinking week to week. He's thinking more long term. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I think, well, he's put a lot of trust in the Sam. And Sam has, has, has paid him off from time to time, but also the sacks rear their ugly head. And Sam's had some turnovers that 
I'm sure he wish he had back. That's something you just can't you can't have the negative plays against a team like the Giants, and you can't give them any chance that they can win the game. You know what I mean? Any, any thought? You got to get them early. You got to try to get up on them early, make them play comfort behind, and try to make them one dimensional as soon as you can. Get them in third and long, and obviously get a lead and make them have to throw to catch up. If that happens, this game should get out of hand because they won't be able to block the four man line that Washington has, in my opinion. So. Um, but Eric is, is, I think he's doing a good job with Sam, really. Obviously, there's some issues, but Sam's a young quarterback, and I think he's thrown a lot at him, and Sam has handled it mentally um, and physically. He's just got to go out there and do it and try to eliminate the big, the negative plays. Um, all right, real quickly, a couple of, of games. First of all, last night, I know you're a big Derek Carr fan and have been. Man, he looks – I mean, he got it going in the fourth quarter last night. They rolled up yards, points, and his tight end dropped – the touchdown pass in the end zone that would have given them a chance to tie or maybe go for two uh, and the lead there uh, in the final 30 seconds. But um, he looks incredibly frustrated. I mean, he's getting on coaches. He's getting on receivers. I mean, he went after Alave last night. What do you you think of Derek Carr in New Orleans right now? He's obviously clearly frustrated. And um, Derek relies on precision. He's a lot like – Kirk. Now, Kirk would not show that emotionally and go after coaches and players like that, but Kirk would get frustrated when people weren't in the right spot. That's what he, I mean, that's what quarterbacks like that depend on. These guys depend on accuracy and anticipation. If they're not where they're supposed to be or at the time they're supposed to be there, it's very frustrating. Obviously, he's frustrated with the, the, the play calling, some of it, and obviously the route discipline is not there for him, for his liking. You know, obviously, I'm not going to. He's used to being with my brother from time to time, and that's what our offense is all about, is people being in the right spot, the right depth, creating separation, working leverages, and anticipation and, and throwing with accuracy. And right now they don't have any separation, and they're not where they're supposed to be. And obviously Derek is clearly frustrated about that. Uh, Lions at Ravens early this uh, uh, in the early window on Sunday. Um, that's a hell of a matchup. Who do you like there? You know, I like the Lions, actually. You know, I think the Ravens will get – it'll be a great game. I think that's one of the games of the week, clearly, other than Miami and Philadelphia. But this will be a great game and a great test for Detroit. I just like the way Detroit plays. They're well coached. I think defensively is where I'm most surprised. I think Aaron Glenn's done a great job with that group. And, uh, obviously, Hutchinson's a great pass rusher. They're getting the pass rusher, getting good coverage. Uh, losing Brian Branch, I don't know if he's going to play or not, but he was a big piece of how they stopped the run and all that stuff. But I still like uh, – Detroit. I just like what Jared Goff is doing. He's been amazingly efficient this year, getting the ball to different people. They have a good enough running game. I just don't know if Montgomery's playing or Gibbs. I don't know what's going on with the running game. They're kind of banged up. Um, but I expect Goff to make enough plays to get the win. I'm, I'm just still, I still think Baltimore's still a work in progress offensively. Lamar's getting to know this new offense. And I think they'll get better and better. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if Baltimore won. Don't get me wrong. I just think they're still struggling a little bit offensively. Uh, there's some pressure on the Chargers and Brandon Staley this year, too. I mean, they got to the playoffs last year, and they lost that big lead at Jacksonville. They play Kansas City at Arrowhead uh, in the 4 o'clock window after losing the Monday night game to the Cowboys. Um, what is your overall take on the Chargers and Justin Herbert specifically? You know, Justin didn't have his best stuff against Dallas for whatever reason. I've never seen Justin miss that many throws that are kind of simple for a guy like of his caliber to miss. Those two to dig or uh, 
those two to uh, what's his name, uh, Keenan Allen, were just unbelievable that he missed. If he hits those two simple throws, it's a different game. I think they win the game. But I think getting Eckler back full strength is going to be a huge help for Justin, and they got to get the running game going. They couldn't run the ball between the tackles. They couldn't do anything uh, last week. they got to get that going for them to have a chance against Kansas City because they want to keep them off the field. But Justin's a good player, and uh, you know he's just got to be more consistent, and they got to protect him a little bit better. Obviously, Dallas has a good pass rush, but they got to do something against Kansas City because they can rush the passer, too. And their defense at Kansas City is playing very, very well. Really probably well. top five in the league. Really well. Yeah, so – It'll be a great challenge for them, and I, I just don't think they have enough right now to take Kansas City down. All right, what about the Sunday night game, Miami at Philly? First of all, are you a Jalen Hurts guy or not? Yeah, I think Jalen Hurts is awesome. He went to the Super Bowl, played extremely well that season, and, and he started out pretty good. I think they get new coordinators hurt a little bit, and, and for whatever reason, Jalen's not quite making the decisions that he made last year. Not, there's not as easy form. Defenses are kind of clamp them down a little bit better. They're stopping the run. My issue with Philadelphia is they get rid of, they get rid of Miles Sanders, who's a bigger type back, and they replace him with two little guys, Swift and Gainwell. They just don't have the power to get those tough yards. You get the second and five. You know, they get a lot of second and tens. They're getting a lot of third down and, and longs, which they didn't really have last year. This is another team that's a ball-control type team. I think uh, last week their opening drive against the Jets was 19 plays. Against the Rams, they had – four or five drives of 12-plus plays, and that's kind of the way they are. Very methodical. The zone reads, the RPOs, getting the ball to A.J. Brown in space and letting him run. Uh, but Devontae Smith has got to come up and make some big plays for them uh, moving forward. they got to get him more involved with the vertical game to get some chunk plays. He's the guy to get it for him. Obviously, A.J. Brown can do that, but they need, they need Devontae to step up to get another viable option other than A.J. Brown because I feel like sometimes Jalen just stares him down a little bit too much and then tries to run and by that time, everything's shut down. All right, so who do you like Sunday night? You know, I think I'm taking Philadelphia. Um, I, I think that Philadelphia, I think the only way to beat Miami is to have a good four-man rush and rush forward and get home. And I think Philadelphia has those four guys. You know, with Hassan Reddick and Sweat and obviously Fletcher Cox. And I don't know if Jalen Carter's going to play or not, but those are four viable pass rushers. And that's what Buffalo did. They didn't rush five often at all. They played four-man rush and played different coverages to try to control, uh, try to confuse Tua, make him hold the ball, and then get to him with the four-man rush. So Philadelphia has a chance to do that. It'll be interesting to see, but obviously Miami's playing a very high level. Uh, Mostert, he's a heck of a running back. He's doing a great job, and obviously Tyreek is one hell of a player in Waddle, but I just think if you can mix in your coverages and get home with four guys, I think Philadelphia has a chance to do it. I think Philadelphia's offense will get on track against Miami's defense. Well, I mean, you know, I, I just pulled up the drive that you referenced. 19 plays, 91 yards, 9 minutes and 47 seconds. That would be their best defense Sunday night against exactly Miami. Right. And I think and I think they can do that against Miami. They can play ball control, keep Miami on the bench and then obviously get home with four guys. That's the key against Miami. If you have to if you have to manufacture pass rush against Miami with five guys and play band to man, you got no chance. Uh, what about the Monday night game? The 49ers off the loss, a little bit banged up. Minnesota, no Justin Jefferson last week. Do you give the Vikings a chance at home? I do not, actually. I think Minnesota, I think Minnesota's struggling right now up front, and they're going to struggle protecting Kirk. And, and Kirk's going to need some time to get these guys open and with some of the route concepts that they run at Minnesota. You know, the stacks and the bunches and all that stuff are great, but some of those plays take time to develop. I don't think they're going to have a lot of time. Minnesota's offensive line is, is, is really struggling, I believe. 
And uh, with the defensive front that San Francisco has with Bosa and Hargrave and uh, Armstead, I just think it's too much for Minnesota. I think, I think, uh, and then I think San Fran's offense will get back on track. Who do you hear from during the season, if anybody of your former coaches, thinking about you know Kevin O'Connell as an example? Do you talk to any of them yeah, during I the season? Yeah, I him and, and Sean every now and then, and obviously uh, you know Angelico's at Minnesota as well, and Les Phillips is at Minnesota, and Chris O'Hara's at Minnesota, and, and uh, Jake Peets is at uh, the Rams. So I, you know, I, I reach out to those guys every day. I just know how busy they are. I don't really talk to a lot of them very often. When the season's over, I'll, I'll get with them and see if they're alive and their heart rate is back to normal. Would you rather be preparing a game plan or doing this podcast with me today? Podcast. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> you unless, mi- unless I was at my unless I was at Miami, that'd be fun. Yeah, that would be fun. But how much do you miss it? This is your no, second year really away it from it. Much. You know, I, I miss the I miss the uh, you know the camaraderie with the players and, and some of the coaches. But you know, and, but you know, I don't miss those long hours getting up at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning and coming home at ten and trying to squeeze in four hours of sleep or five and. And doing it over and over again, drawing up walkthrough cards and practice cards and dealing with all these injuries and everything like that and, and the media. Uh, I really don't really miss it that much, to be honest with you. All right. You're I on miss a, game day, and I miss the players. That's about it. You're on a roll. You're, you're giving out Washington, buying the half point. Uh, you got to pay a price on that, um, but you're buying the half point and taking Washington minus two and a half. Actually, I see some two and a halves out there right now. I just pulled yeah, up. I think you got to uh, give me two and a half. I see some two and a halves. I see a lot of threes now, though. But there are enough two and a halves out there. DraftKings right now has two and a half. My bookie's got two and a half right now, actually. So there you go. Uh, you there get it. You, you get them at two and a half. I'll talk to you next week. Thank right, you. I'll talk to you. Thanks. Jay Gruden, everybody, with me every Friday during football season. Well, football season, we are approaching, believe it or not, the halfway mark of the NFL season. We are beyond it in college football. If you're looking for a spot to watch football outdoors, consider the bullpen. Uh, The bullpen right next to Nats Park is a go-to spot, especially on these beautiful fall days, for outdoor Football watching, yeah, it's the ultimate outdoor destination to watch games, to listen to live music, hang out with friends. Admission is absolutely free. Of course, the bullpen right next to Nats Park in the heart of Navy Yard is a spot that we've known for years is for baseball fans, but this year they're bringing all the NFL and college football action that you can handle. Get your guys together, wear your team colors, head on over to the bullpen. They've got the games, the drinks, and the energy to make every moment unforgettable. Visit them today at thebullpendc.com to see the game schedule. Beautiful fall weekends, outdoor football watching, lots of fun with friends. The bullpen right next to Nats Park, thebullpendc.com to see their game schedule. All right, we'll finish up the show with my smell test right after these words from a few of our sponsors. As always, the smell test is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC for a cash bonus on your initial deposit. You have to use my promo code KevinDC to get access to it, but you'll get a cash bonus on your initial deposit if you use my promo code 
Kevin DC. My bookie is fair. You get paid if you win. You don't have to bet for six months before you're eligible to cash out. My bookie's got fair point spreads, very fair pricing. If you've already got a site, use my bookie as a second place. If you're looking for a place to bet on sports, you can't go wrong with my bookie. Mybookie.ag promo code Kevin DC. All right, uh, the smell test was not good last week. Two and eight, one of the worst weeks I've had in a long time. In fact, not only was it two and eight, a lot of those games weren't even close. I mean, Tampa Bay wasn't close. Uh, as it turns out, the Panthers weren't close. They were up 14-0, had them plus 14. They lost 42-21. to Wisconsin wasn't close on Saturday. NC State was a complete dud. Uh, and I'm off to an 0-1 start. This weekend, because I gave out on the show yesterday with Tommy, I gave out an early week smell test selection, Marshall plus three and a half at home against James Madison. Now, to be fair, Marshall's best player got scratched right before kickoff. The line went from three and a half to five and a half. I was already on Marshall, and I'm not taking it back. I mean, that's on my record. I mean, I gave it out, and things like that happen, and sometimes, you know, it may work to my benefit. If I had seen that earlier, I would have likely tweeted out, Marshall, don't play him off my smell test. I'm not playing him. I had already played him, too. They lost 20-9 to to James Madison, who, by the way, I mean – I know I've got some JMU alum that listen to this show because I hear from you guys uh, a lot uh, about talking about the JMU Dukes. You know, one of my oldest, closest friends, Steve Buckhantz, is a JMU Duke alum. He loves everything having to do with James Madison. It's such a great school, by the way, and I've been there many times, uh, but Wow, you know, they are 7-0. and They won again last night. First time I think they've won in Huntington at Marshall. They're 7-0, and but as you JMU fans and JMU people know, they're not eligible for a bowl game in their second year of FBS football. It's kind of a stupid rule. Um, they're, not, they're also not eligible to play in their conference championship game in the Sun Belt. I mean, it's, it's a shame, really. I, I did read something this morning that said there is a path potentially uh, to a bowl game, but that would only uh, be the case if there weren't enough 500 or better teams to fill the 82 spots for the 41 bowl games. So if there aren't enough 500 or better teams, maybe JMU can get an exemption and get into a bowl game. But consider this. They're 7-0. and um, The league's got some good teams, and they've got a couple of tough games left on their schedule. But if they go undefeated, they're not eligible for a bowl game. They would have been eligible in a normal year for them, starting next year, for a New Year's Six Bowl. That's millions of dollars to the school and, by the way, to the Sun Belt. Uh, but great season that they're having. They've won 10 straight dating back to last year, and they've got the sixth longest active winning streak in the FBS. FBS, for those of you still not uh, attuned to the way it's described these days, that's like the old Division One. Um, but uh, Marshall did not work last night, so we're off 
to an 0 and 1 start. So let's go to tomorrow. Let me just mention the game of the weekend, maybe the football game of the weekend. Penn State at Ohio State. Penn State's James Franklin is 4 and 14 against Ohio State and Michigan. This is a huge game for him. I'm familiar with the Penn State fan base. I mean, it is something else. My youngest son went and graduated from Penn State, uh, graduated from there last year, um, not this past May, but a year ago, May. And, you know, I was up there for multiple weekends when he was in school. And, I mean, the passion for Penn State football is through the roof. But, you know, they're not sold and haven't been sold on James Franklin for many years. Uh, This is an opportunity. This appears to be the best Penn State team that he's had. This appears to be the weakest Ohio State team in a while. They're undefeated, um, but they're not nearly as explosive offensively as they've been. They're better on defense, though. They're a much tougher uh, and better team defensively. It's not in the smell test this game tomorrow. It almost was. I think Ohio State minus the 4.5 is probably the right side. Personally, I don't think Ohio State's that great, but I don't think Penn State's as good as some people think offensively. I'm not sold on the new quarterback, Aller. Their defense is outstanding, as is Ohio State's. I think this is just probably one of those games where home field advantage and Columbus matters. Probably things like special teams matter a lot. Um, I'd lean Ohio State, but that's not an official pick. But I just wanted to weigh in on that game. No Maryland game uh, this weekend. Uh, they have a bye there at Northwest at Northwestern next week. But you know, good day of college football tomorrow with Penn State, Ohio State leading it off. Um, all right, the picks. So UCF is at Oklahoma in a Big 12 game. That's a Big 12 game. UCF is in the Big 12. They're getting their starting quarterback. Uh, back. He was hurt early in the year. He played a little bit last week. Um, Big difference maker. UCF can really score. The public loves Oklahoma in this game, laying 18. Last impression is always a big deal. Recent impression is always a big deal. And the last time Oklahoma played was in the Red Red River rivalry shootout, whatever they call it now. And they beat Texas, knocked off Texas. Dylan Gabriel, by the way, the quarterback for Oklahoma, playing against his former team. He's a transfer from UCF a few years ago. I like UCF plus the 18 points. I think they'll score. Uh, I think this will be, you know, a 38-31, 45-38 kind of a game in Norman. Uh, Let's go to the MAC for my next selection, a big-time matchup between the two leaders in each of the divisions in the Mid-American Conference, Miami of Ohio and Toledo. Miami of Ohio has one of the best teams they've had in a long time. Both teams are 6-1. and Uh, Both teams lead their respective divisions in the MAC. This could be potentially a preview of the MAC championship game down the road. It's in Oxford, as in Oxford, Ohio, uh, one of... Um, the most uh, college towns there is in America. I, it's just the quintish, quintessential college Americana town, Oxford, Ohio. It's in the middle of nowhere. Um, I've been there a few times. Uh, and it's about, I don't know, an hour and 15-minute drive from Cincinnati, something like that. Uh, but uh, that place will be hopping in their stadium that probably seats, I don't know, 30,000, 30, 
5,000, whatever it is. Big game in the MAC. Toledo went from a one point dog to a two point favorite. There's a ton of sharp money on Toledo, and the public's backing the Miami of Ohio Redhawks. Used to be Redskins many years ago, the Redhawks. Give me Toledo minus the two. Auburn's at home catching six and a half against Ole Miss. Ole Miss can really score, uh, but they can't stop anybody. And the last time Auburn played at Jordan-Hare was two weeks ago when they nearly knocked off Georgia. They got run last week at LSU. I think LSU's the best offensive team in the country. I really do. They're terrible defensively. Uh, but uh, they beat Auburn last week 48-18, to you know, a week after Auburn was right there with Georgia. I think Auburn's defense shuts down Ole Miss. I think Auburn will score enough. The game's at home. They're getting six and a half by the half point. Take Auburn plus the seven. UCLA is laying 17 at Stanford. UCLA got run last week by Oregon State. I had them. Didn't work out. I had them the week before against Washington State, and it did work. But Stanford, remember the last time we saw them, they were making that comeback from 29 to nothing down to beat Colorado 46 to 43 a week ago tonight. UCLA got beat badly by Oregon State. They're laying 17. That is a huge number for a team that really struggles to, to move the football and score points. They've got a very young quarterback. He is mistake prone. I just looked at that line and I said, I mean, if UCLA was like seven or eight or nine point favorites, anything double digit was going to look funny to me against Stanford coming off that win. They're 17 point favorites. Give me UCLA, lay the 17. The public's on Stanford. I think there's good reason why the public should want to be on Stanford. I'll be on the other side. Uh, Nevada plus 12 and a half at San Diego State is the other play. It's a big public play for some reason, San Diego State. And there's major sharp money on Nevada. That line was 14. It's down to 12 and a half right now. Let's go to Sunday. Um, The Patriots are playing the Bills. And right now the Patriots are one of the biggest uh, anti-public sides of the weekend. Uh, I'm just pulling up some information right now as... Yeah, so New England's getting eight and a half, and that line has essentially stood at eight and a half all week long. Remember, Buffalo had had difficult time scoring last week against the Giants, had a difficult time scoring until the fourth quarter the week before that against Tennessee. Uh, maybe the play here is the first half uh, New England uh, at home, but I'll take the Patriots plus the eight and a half on you know pure sort of contrarian principle. Uh, New England is re- the, the public's really down on the Patriots. And the the public still thinks the the Bills are a Super Bowl contender. So do I. These games in this division are always difficult. It's in Foxborough. I think some wind and some weather perhaps on the East Coast this weekend, maybe even in New Jersey for the game Sunday between Washington and New York. I'll take New England uh, and the eight and a half. The Bears, well, uh, it looks like the kid from Shepherd College may be the starter. That line is super short with the Raiders now at three and three. They're laying two and a half. I'll buy the half point and take the Bears at home. Uh, Baltimore and Detroit, one of the best games of the NFL weekend. The Ravens are three point favorites 
in that game. Everybody loves Detroit in this game. They are one of the biggest public plays by far. There is some sharp money on Baltimore, um, I am told. I'll take the Ravens and lay the three at M&T Bank Stadium. Uh, also in the 1 o'clock window, sorry, but the Giants plus three are the anti-public side. There's some sharp money on both teams, but I just think this line reeks a little bit. I think Washington uh, is a team that, believe it or not, some public betters believe in. They beat Atlanta on the road last week. They were, you know, the, the game that they had against Philadelphia. The Chicago game didn't help matters, obviously, but the Giants are perceived to be an awful team and a decimated team injury-wise, which is all true. So the public is backing Washington at minus two and a half, minus three. I'll buy the half point, although I can find a minus three out there right now. At my bookie currently, Washington is, let me find the updated my bookie line, two and a half point favorites. I'm buying the half point there and taking uh, the Giants plus the three. By the way, um, and you heard my final score prediction in the open, 20-19 to 19, Washington. I've got them winning, so it's a, it's a pure happiness hedge uh, bet here. Uh, I want the Giants to cover, but I want Washington to win the game outright. And look, if Washington wins big and the Giants don't cover, I'll be fine with that as well. Uh, the total, by the way, in this game this week is one of the lowest in the league. You know, Washington went from those first couple of weeks of the season having super low over-under totals to then it climbing after the Denver game when they're like, hey, they can score a little bit. And playing the Giants this week, the total is 37 and a half. Uh, the only other game on the board with a lower total is Bears Raiders at 37. Bucks Falcons is at 37 and a half as well. I don't like uh, the over or the under in this game, even though my final score prediction, 20 to 19, would send it just over uh, the total. Two more games. Uh, The Broncos late afternoon uh, at 425 plus one and a half at home against the Packers and the Chargers plus five and a half at Arrowhead. Uh, The Chiefs are a big public play uh, this weekend as well. I would lean Philly Sunday night, but I'm not playing it. And I do think when we come in here on Monday, Minnesota might be a smell test pick on Monday's show, but I'm going to hold off on that one right now. There's a lot of public money on San Francisco in that game, uh, and there has been back and forth sharp money on that game. Initially, it went to six and a half, six. Now it's back to seven. So, so I'm going to hold off on that one for now. All right, uh, recapping. Uh, Marshall already in the books as a loss. Tomorrow, UCF plus 18, Toledo minus two, Auburn minus seven, UCLA minus 17, and Nevada plus 12 and a half. On Sunday, the Patriots plus eight and a half, the Bears plus three, the Ravens minus three, the Giants plus three, the Broncos plus one and a half, and the Chargers plus five and a half. All right, that's it. Enjoy the weekend of football back on Monday. The Washington Redskins offensive line is one of football's best, but today their reputation will be challenged by Lawrence Taylor in a fired-up New York defense. The Giants are confidently riding the crest of a six-game winning streak. And with the right calls from Phil Simms, they hope to roll a seven today.
Patriots also face some stiff challenges today. First, their defense must contain Washington's fleet receivers, like Gary Clark. And their unheralded pass blockers will have to contend with Dexter Manley, one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Manley relishes the spotlight, and today it shines brightly in the season's biggest game. Giants to victory in their first meeting, but today's rematch is at RFK Stadium, where the skins are hard to beat and where tickets are impossible to find. CBS Sports presents the National Football League. Today, it's the New York Giants against the Redskins of Washington, live from RFK Stadium, sold out for the 157th consecutive time. And believe me, there is no place to play, no more enthusiastic setup than RFK. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.